We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured in Celluloid, part of Make Time for This, a show on the Eurostep Podcast Network and proudly a part of the Blue Wire Podcast family. We're back. We're back with a vengeance, I think would be the way to put it. Uh, We didn't get an episode out next week for scheduling reasons, but what does that mean? That means you're going to get two episodes from us this week. Halloween is very fast approaching. And with that, we've been trying to work out, okay, what way we do this? Last year, we had a really fun episode, which people can go out and check out, where we talked about some of our favorite horrors uh, with our friend Ben Rowland. I think that was last year. It's possible it was two years ago, but I feel like it was last year. Um, And rather than do something like that again, I was like, okay, let's do a couple of episodes that are very much in the Halloween vein, but let's let's find an angle. What can we do to uh, to feed in something a little bit different? So we've got two episodes coming. The first of which, this one, is a closer look at the works of Dario Argento, one of the masters of giallo cinema, one of the masters of Italian horror. We're going to talk a little bit about some of uh, Argento's classics. I've been doing plenty of Argento watching in the past couple of weeks. I got Andrew to come along on the journey with me and to get his introduction to Dario Argento's films. So we'll talk about Argento and his new movie, Dark Glasses. And next week on the show, we're going to talk about 60s horror. And you might be wondering, why 60s horror? Because it feels like people always talk about 70s horror, 80s horror. Rarely do you hear about anything pre-70s. And I think there's a few different reasons for that, a lot of it which we'll work through in more detail next week. But I do think the combination of Argento and kind of a, a quick glance at Jalo, and then some of the f- films and kind of ideas that started to come true in horror cinema in the 1960s, which we'll work through next week, kind of set the table for what horror became in the 70s as things really started to boom for it as a genre and really 
it's kind of still what it's been since. So I think the the groundwork for what we understand to be a horror movie was largely set with a couple of more than a couple, a handful of kind of real jolting, shocking um, genre redefining films that came out in the 1960s with some of the, the ideas that were coming from overseas, notably from Italy. And that kind of defined what we understood to be horror and many of its key subgenres in the time since. So over the two weeks, we hope we'll give you a whole bunch of either films to think about again or films to watch for the first time as you uh, try to find some horror movies for Halloween. So with all of that introduction out of the way, Andrew Snyder, how are you doing? I'm doing well. There's uh, a lot going on in the world right now. The baseball playoffs, the NFL, the NHL starting, the NBA starting. The reason, for the most part, that we get together and talk about things. World football is not stopped, and yet here we are to talk about an Italian filmmaker that makes uh, gory horror films. And that really, in my mind, means that Captured on Celluloid is capital letters back because uh, that is what this podcast mostly is it's just like us finding time to just get weird and do whatever the fuck we want so uh feels good to in the midst of all this chaos talk about a really chaotic filmmaker so i'm I'm doing well i don't know what you're talking about baseball season is over long over to me uh the nfl season based on what the green packers are doing that is also over yes the nba is back uh but the movies don't stop. Are you someone, Andrew, who, as it comes up to Halloween throughout the month of October, do you generally find yourself inclined to check out some more horror movies, seek out maybe some you haven't seen or revisit some of your favorites over the years? Has that been something you're you're known to do? Normally, what I do is I realize it's Halloween too late or like in the season. So like <laughs> instead of leading up to it, like now leading through the 31st, I just cram horror films usually i realize it like on the 30th and i watch a few unless this podcast is pointing me in a direction like it did when we chatted with ben and we really did a deep dive of all three of ours uh selection of a few horror films that we like so it's i think it's it's like a lot of my movie viewing in that it's well-intentioned and then ultimately felt fall short of the overall goal um so i think when it gets down to it i'm normally like okay let me rewatch something that uh like i i really like and i'm fond of and have seen a few times and um so like if i if i was gonna rewatch something i would probably watch something from like the last 10 years but in doing this and in having this podcast i think it is very interesting and rewarding this time of year to go back and see why the types of horror films that were made after like the 60s and 70s like you were saying in the 80s 90s and today like where did they get their start and who inspired what became um the horror genre and obviously there's been some evolutions in the last decade or so as so the the phrase that everyone hates as elevated horror has become something that uh you know a24 puts out a lot uh I think uh, don't be like me. Go back in time and see a time capsule of how a slasher movie became what it is. And uh, I think what I'm realizing at 
through this process with Argento and then thinking about some of the great uh, John Carpenter movies is uh, th- this inspiration is responsible for a lot of good and also a lot of shit <laughs> over the, the next couple of decades. Yeah, and Argento's like career is full of a lot of good and a lot of shit. And that's kind of Jalo as a genre. And we'll talk about that. And it's really, it's its origins and it's what it gives room for which honestly i have no problem with that's that is the best kind of thing to have as the ingredients when you come to make a movie for me is this could be great or this could be shit it's a lot of stuff that's just like treading water in the middle that is the most boring uh for first i want to make a comment that's funny to see what this podcast has created uh my reputation as in my real life uh, and thinking about Argento's films, and this is probably how if I recommended them to someone, they might describe it. I had a, a friend ask me today what I thought of a certain movie. I won't I won't say what it, what the movie was. Uh, and I was like, don't watch it. You'll hate it. And then they were like, you're wrong. Actually, I did hate it. And they're like, I figured you would have liked it because it was visually stunning. The cinematography was great and the uh, plot was so stupid. So now, Adam, in my life, people view me as a visual first film goer. Right. My work here is done. This is this is all I want. I mean, you don't listen. You don't fire up something on your TV or go to a a movie theater to uh, to watch a play. You know, you go to a theater to do that. And you know what my response was? One sentence before I change the subject. Film is a visual medium. But anyway, uh, uh, Argento diving into some of his early work and then obviously seeing his newest film. uh, I guess what I took away from him is he's like Giallo as a genre, you said, is like he was following that particular genre. But he's a guy that's not interested in nuance and he's going to show you exactly what he wants to show you and he's going to throw it all out there. I mean, there's... I find his plotting chaotic, but I like it in what it's doing, especially in Suspiria and Deep Red. Those were by far my two uh, favorites of the ones I saw. There's uh, obviously what he was doing in terms of just putting gore and violence at the forefront of scenes. If there's going to be a murder, if there's going to be a stabbing, it's going to be grotesque and it's going to be right there in, in your face. And for that visual medium and like a, a show not tell filmmaker, which is what I believe him to be. I, I think it really works. And then obviously just, I think the story he tells with the color and how that can be used to just make the horror and violence pop. I mean, the blood red of, of the violence in his films or even, I, I can't remember. I think it was deep red, not Suspiria, but there was something that, I mean, his films, I, because of where, we are and everything we've seen and just the desensitized nature we have to certain things. I think I wouldn't describe his films as scary to me, but they are incredibly creepy. And I think he does a good job of having that sense of dread and suspense over all of his films. I mean, something as simple as when someone would get stabbed and like the, the, the saliva running out of their mouth, something that he did in some of those films and it just creeped me out endlessly. So as much as so I, I really like Suspiria. I think Deep Red's great as well. I respect these films more than I enjoy them because of the swings he's he's taking. And obviously, to your point, he took swings later in his career that did not connect with the baseball. Um, 
but he's a fascinating guy to talk about just because of where he started the where he went off track but also just what he influenced and i think getting a first taste of that those kinds of things were the were what stood out to me okay so you've you've dived in at the deep end there and as for this whole exercise i've made you dive in no it's okay i've made you dive in at the deep end i didn't really want to give you the context because i think that takes away from something like this where i was very confident particularly when i found out you hadn't seen suspiria i was like okay well this is entirely new Andrew. so i didn't want to be like oh well what you need to know going in i think it's interesting just watch it come up with your own opinions i think you've hit on a lot of stuff there that's absolutely 100 right and some stuff that's wrong and i think what's interesting is what's right is there are reasons for it too and they're kind of inbuilt into what jalo is uh what i'll first push back on is i think argento is very much a nuanced individual and incredibly detail oriented his detail is not about plot and that is more about the type of films he chooses to make within the genre within giallo than it is anything else so that's i think first thing first kind of with his background he's not quite like a career du cinema and a jean-luc darway but he he did start out as a film critic, then eventually turned screenwriter. Um, his father was a film producer before that. Like he's kind of he's been steeped in the world of film. He, I believe, was a very very leftist paper where he was a film critic as a young man. And to this day, when you hear him talk, when you see him interviewed, he's a very smart man who uh, probably has much deeper thoughts on his movies than are ever really up there on screen for people to easily pull away from it right they're there if you want to dive deep if you want to in some cases ascribe meaning but they're not gonna be there for everyone where i think a valid reaction to a lot of argento's work will be what the hell's going on here this is dumb and part of that is you've just gotta you've just gotta go with it like it is basically built into jalo that these movies are borderline incoherent some are more coherent than others um before giving more background on argento i guess giallo is a term to tackle and that's a really tough task it's something that has been debated and been a a regular source of discussion really from the time of argento and predating that um giallo for those with even the most rudimentary of italian will know is the word yellow it's the color yellow in italian um plural jali that's what multiple yellow films would be called and they're called yellow because that was the color of the covers of the paperback mystery novels that very much fit the tone of what we're doing here so rather than this purely being a movie genre even though certainly in the Western world or the English speaking world to put it more accurately, Jalo is a term that is now associated with movies. It was originally a term that was akin to Pulp Fiction. And I, I think it's very much, that's the way I think for someone, um, a, an English speaker, the best way of describing what is it, it's like if you were to describe a movie or an album, not an album or a novel as pulpy, 
that kind of sense of you you know what that's getting at and you know the kind of work it's drawing from um that's that's really the origins of of Jalo. so we are not talking about kind of high-minded literature here we are talking cheap and nasty trills and mystery this is mystery 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 and with that a lot of these films have very kind of core recurring elements if you had had the time to watch even more um argento i think that would have been really interesting because you would just at some point be like how many he just i just watched this movie he's made the same movie again it's literally the characters are the same jobs the plot devices are the same like there is that element to it so absolutely central to annie Jallo is a murder and a murder very early in the story more often than not our protagonist has likely witnessed the murder and either takes it upon themselves to investigate or spends the rest of the movie trying to avoid being a victim. Um, the murderer will always, always use black leather gloves, which will be one of the only identifying features we'll see for them throughout the film. There will be twists and turns. There will be a big reveal at the end where we find out who the murderer is. And with all of that, I think the thing that's important to get across there, because you said you didn't particularly find any of these films like to be scary. It's because they're they're not like they're drawn more from mystery. They're drawn more from thriller. But when it was put to screen, they were made with such visceral, gory violence, which was very much unlike anything that had been put on screen to that point that I do think it gets elevated and they're not scary. I don't, I don't think there's any of these films that are scary. There's certainly really tense moments in a lot of them. Um, but what I would say is they are frequently horrifying, which is maybe a more true kind of read of what a horror film is at its essence than, well, are there scares? Scares, I think, is something that really kind of evolved as time went on and really comes from jump scares too and kind of an idea of something that's more cheap and kind of, I don't know, instant gratification where I think Argento's films and Jallo as a genre, there's going to be images that are so disturbing and in some cases really, really disgusting that they're going to sear themselves into your brain. They're going to stick with you as something horrifying a lot longer than, oh, that one particular scare. And we're talking mostly in this episode about Argento. Next week, we may bring a couple of other figures. I can think of certainly at least one figure who may factor into these discussions when we talk 60 cinema. But when you're talking Jallo, I think as kind of forefathers of Jallo, you've got Mario Bava who comes um, before Argento with Black Sunday, then they're exploding Black Lace. Uh, you've got Lucio Fulci, Sergio Martino, figures like that. And one of the key, I guess, distinctions to make, which is very different, for example, than from when I say to you, okay, we're going to talk about Godard and the French New Wave or Jacques Demy and the French New Wave. Or if in the future I said, we're going to do another Italian filmmaker, let's do Fellini or Antonioni. All of those figures came from very arty backgrounds. They had art house kind of aspirations as we'd, as we'd understand them today. The Jalo filmmakers were big commercial filmmakers. 
these are films that were very successful and made to kind of play wide for mainstream audiences in Italy that as the genre progressed, that really went much wider than that, played in the US, played in the UK, dubbed, dubbed with post-sync sound, which much like with Spaghetti Westerns, is certainly a core feature that anyone watching these movies will notice. Um, and they were big and successful. And in part, that is why the influence of them really spread wide. This is not some art house curiosity. And I think in watching the film, you'll agree, like th- these aren't arty. Like there's a lot of craft there, but the actual core subject matter and how the movies play out are not arty. So that's kind of a a crash course on Jello. I guess the other key car- characteristics to mention is the color, which you touched on. Um, generally, Jello is associated with really big, bold color. Nobody arguably did that better than Dario Argento. And the camera work, really kind of complex camera work and set pieces that are very well constructed first to hit some of kind of the marks of Jalo, whether it is the big reveals or the twists or just some of the kind of set piece chases or kills and you hear people who read into horror talk about kills a lot and what well, makes up a good kill i think that's one thing argento does better than anyone for me i, I can't think of another filmmaker i've seen that just one i think as kind of beautifully and terribly at the same time um, manages to kind of create these set pieces around grisly murders but there's just something to the craft of it there's also something to how horrifying it is which for me that's what if you're going to make a film that's about murders it should be pretty gnarly because you don't want anyone coming out of it being like hey this this like you know this is fine this is good you want people to be kind of repulsed to me that's kind of a a primal instinct that comes from someone making a film like that. And I think Argento largely succeeds on that front. Uh, so that is, that is kind of Jalo as a crash course. And Jalo obviously evolves from there. You have people who, uh, for example, we may have even mentioned Jalo. We didn't do a podcast on it because neither of us liked the film. Um, when Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho came out last year, that is a movie that is purely Jalo inspired. It doesn't really achieve a lot. It is, I won't even say similarly nonsensical because it is more nonsensical than the Jalo, but that is what he's going for there, both in style and a lot of the narrative elements. Um, you will hear every now and then that will kind of come about. And so some critics would just call that a Jalo, um, while others are very rigidly. Now, a Jalo comes from Italy and it came from Italy between the mid 60s and the mid 80s. And that's a Jalo, everything else. My favorite director, Brian De Palma, is overwhelmingly influenced by Jalo, made certainly a whole bunch of films that are pretty distinctly influenced by the genre that could, if they were made in Italy, someone would probably be like, that's a Jalo. Um, erotic thriller is another genre that a lot of the kind of core elements of Jalo carried over to. Certainly some of the, the gnarlier ones. Um, when it came to murder, that's something that is kind of a true line there. Uh, but the narrow focus of what it is, kind of, Argento is maybe the best place. He wasn't quite first, wasn't quite last, but I, I feel like he is the spot where, one, it's most identifiable and what other filmmakers took from him and brought forward. But two, you could just get a sense of what it is, even though it's not it's not really like well-defined. It's, a, it's not an easy thing. I did spend quite a bit of time this week 
watching these movies, Andrew, somewhat stressing over how am I going to explain Jalo on a podcast? Because it is a pretty amorphous term. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And for me, excuse me, after hearing that discussion, I think his film of the four that I saw, obviously there's more, that most beat for beat aligns with that description was probably Deep Red, and it's not my favorite of his. I think Suspiria is better. Actually, Suspiria, now that I think of it, um, does set up the same way. I guess the supernatural elements in Suspiria maybe evolve it into another form that I guess Jalo can take sometimes but deep red we get we get the first scene set up uh mystery which is a scene that reminds me a lot of uh a scene in nope which i think was the first scene of that um i would be shocked if if jordan peele was not a fan of uh dario argento um there's a it's funny it's funny you say that it's funny you say that there (laughs) so there's another argento film uh, called Phenomena, starring Jennifer Connelly in one of her very first roles, a very young Jennifer Connelly, um, which also includes a chimp uh, in a really kind of absurd way, really absurd way. And ultimately, the chimp is kind of, I guess, the most crucial cog in the film. But when you talk about that opening scene to Nope and a lot of that, uh, honestly some of that could be just right out of phenomena like Argento has done that in a way where when I watched that film I was like oh shit is this one that I told Andrew to watch because if he's only going to get to watch like three or four I don't want this to be one of them and I checked and was relieved that no in fact it wasn't I gave you I think Inferno instead of that one um, but that is something Argento himself has done that's funny um Something that I, I don't know if you if you touched on, but uh, something especially in, in Deep Red and Suspiria um, that he does so well in kind of, like you said, 
building up to those horrifying horrifying moments and also uh keying in on that mystery is just how mobile his camera is and how it's almost like as a viewer we're going along for the ride and like poking our noses into places we shouldn't be diving into uh sewer ballroom water for whatever reason that that seems like a good idea uh it i think that it's just like an essential part to the the worlds that he dips his toes into so without without me telling you can you can you plot that forward through time to where you next see that to where in american cinema you see that device really notably used not too long after i've mentioned it already but would it be halloween and like the the john carpenter films yeah that's Um, a that's a character use it so that is something you see in Jalo very frequently and certainly in Argento's films, which is the camera takes the killer's point of view. So yeah. you do, you're not seeing the killer, but you're seeing the camera move through a space. And when the camera appears on the corner, it's creating that effect for your audience. And that is certainly something that like comes to the fore in Halloween. That's kind of the, the one of the most essential pieces of the kind of the visual language of Halloween. Um, and we've talked about before with one of my all-time favorite films, Blowout. And like when the Palma does that pastiche of Hall- Halloween to open up that film, it's the same. It's the same thing. You're playing into like you're us as viewers. We're peering in these uh, these windows of college dormitories and leering in at the kind of the teenage kids inside. But it's the killer, and it's putting your audience in the place of the killer, and it's creating kind of really dynamic and I don't know, alive kind of visuals where the threat feels much greater and you feel implicated. That is, that is at the core of how Argento approached that. And certainly one of the key things that comes from his films true to Hollywood horror beyond that. Yeah. And to your point about like, in terms of where the nuance isn't is in, in the plot, but just, he does such a great job in these films of making you feel via those visuals that you discuss and then also just by what you're hearing and obviously music is so essential to horror films and halloween obviously i mean people like that that theme has like become iconic uh goblin which i guess was a or an italian prog rock band that he worked with exactly Uh, what they are yeah uh i i didn't dive too deep into them but Obviously, when it, you see like scored by Goblin, you're like, what is that? I need to, uh, that's something I need to bookmark. But uh, they're a little more subtle in uh, Suspiria and Deep Red. They're absolutely bonkers. We got this like oh, swaggering. You, they're not subtle in Suspiria. Like uh, the one thing that can't be said is like Goblin scores are not subtle. They are balls to the wall. They are fantastic. I, I find but continue, Deep Red's, it's, it's not. I, I find Deep, Deep Red's more balls to the wall. Just but I, but there's like a funkiness in Deep Red that like is yes. Like Deep Red anytime, is much more funky. Anytime something like like you're really amping up to like a big moment, it's like the just like accelerates and punches you in the face. I bet Alex Turner loves Goblin, uh, a <laughs> swaggering funk jazz act. But like uh, like to, to give mean, you an he, example though for Suspiria, I think it's like the second scene. So it's it's honestly before anything is really in motion. And there are just there is someone or a choir or something chanting witch in their score for Suspiria. It's you're kind of like, oh, it's spoilers, you know. It's 
you're way ahead of the movie here. But that is kind of the essence of Goblin and just amazing sounds, like just layered into their scores. Like, yeah, I mean, Deep Red and Suspiria are some of my uh, like favorite of this time period scored movies I've ever heard, just because like, to your point, it's it's punching you in the face. It's not taking you by the hand. I mean, we've got those just like chaotic sax solos and then building up into like insane synth. Uh, notes. I mean, I think it's just phenomenal, but it really does a great job of <clears throat> of building suspense and also getting your heart rate going. Because, um, like I said, it's like I don't find it scary, but I find it creepy. And gen- then just like the intense visuals, like it, even even with like the special effects not being are what they are today, seeing someone have their throat cut or getting tangled in uh, some sort of razor sharp wire is a pretty. Uh, like, like you said, it's a lasting image that stands out, and especially when it's just highlighted by blood red. And I also think there's uh, he does a great job of just uh, like the the scenery and the setting and the way the color works there as well. Uh, the a film that I probably like the least out of these three, Inferno. The very end of that film, though, as he's like going deeper and deeper into I guess the the witch layer, so to speak, that he's uncovered. I feel the 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 brightness that's that's used kind of like amplifying the creepiness of the area. It's almost like he's walked into a haunted house, even though it's not a haunted house. Uh, it, just the like you said with the giallo, the the color is essential to what they're doing, and uh, it's more than just I guess the blood and the gore for me. It's just like the the way important artifacts or important scenery or important locations are, are lit up and just highlighted as well uh, in Suspiria, the, the woman behind the curtain, that scene when they're mm-hmm. all like in the, in the lunchroom, common room or whatever it is, just the, the maggots falling from the ceiling. Well, and just my, like... fa- my favorite thing with the, cause I only did, I left Suspiria for last for my rewatch. I've seen it a few times now. My favorite thing with that scene is okay. So the maggots, falling from the ceiling on the floor above uh we won't get into all of the reasons for why that happens just now but as a result all of the dancers in this dance academy they have to spend the night sleeping in the studio which has been very quickly converted to a very comfortable effective dormitory and around the edges of the dormitory are these white sheets where i believe on one side uh, the male dancers from the academy are are sleeping on the other side um the teachers and instructors and we'll just say other entities they're spending their time but when one of the teachers is about to leave and she's like okay i'm gonna turn the lights off now we're in any other film the lights turn off and it's like oh yes it's meant to be scary we're in the dark the lights turn off and there's just this red light everywhere and it's just it's so argento it's like there's just this red bulb that's lighting the whole space and it looks great it's so much more interesting it's so alive um I, I that's that to me is like just kind of you're like trying to find singular moments that's one for me where it's like oh we're going to turn the lights off and you're ready for what would be dark for any other director and even for setting up what that scene is and argento's like no red i have one other i mean we can we can get into some of the there are there are probably going to be some mild spoilers here. We're not going to go into too many specifics because I, I do want people to 
if you haven't watched Argento movies before and this piques your curiosity to go and check them out. Um, great time of year to find them, honestly. Very widely available. I know my part of the world between Mubi, Shudder, um, Prime Video as well. Obviously, as they made the remake of Suspiria, they have quite a few Argento films. I don't know if you found similar experience, but there's quite a lot of these on streaming services at the moment if you did want to check them out. Uh, I was not able to find the original Italian version. I don't know if I was supposed to have found that, but of um, Deep Red. For which? Deep Red. Uh, see, this is a... It's a tough question on that one because <laughs> the original Italian version, Deep Red is one that is a little, little bit messier than that um, because there are two cuts. I watched the original longer cut. I started one, which was on Shudder, and I saw the length was shorter than I had noted the film was going to be when I looked on Letterboxd. And then I saw a movie had the original cut. Most versions that are going to be available to us, though, are going to be in English and they're they're dubbed and post-synced. So honestly, there there is no difference on that front. It's not something that I would generally be a proponent of dubbing. But for example, in a lot of these movies, like in the case of Deep Red, so David Hemmings plays the musician who's kind of at the center of the movie musician it's again one of those jobs it just recurs in argento's films you're like oh wait it's another musician who's ended up tangled up in this web of murders um yeah. but but odd, david hemming job is as the, uh, as one person calls it musicology not toxicology <laughs> david hemming's is a few years removed maybe eight years if i've got my numbers right that might be completely wrong from uh Michelangelo Antonioni's blow up, which is a colossal global success. Again, to mention blowout, it's ultimately Brian De Palma's inspiration for that movie. And he is he's a British actor. And very common in these movies that are gentle will cast English or American actors, and they will speak their own language on set. And there may be other people speaking their language and those people will be post-dubbed or post-synced. So it'll be dubbing at it after the fact. Um, in Suspiria, for example, it's a mix and match. A lot of Jessica Harper's location on set audio is used uh, purely because Argento really liked her voice. And seemingly that was something he was very upset with when it was dubbed into Italian was that the voice didn't have anything near what what he appreciated so much out of what Jessica Harper was giving in that movie. So a lot of the movies, you'll get this mix of someone who is a native English speaker and they did shoot the film speaking English. And then you could look at the person they're speaking to. And this is very much people are in spaghetti Westerns. Like you'll have encountered this before too. You look at them and it's very obviously dubbed. Um, so there's not really a right or wrong on that. Andrew, I think you're, you're okay on that front. I don't, I don't think there's any kind of key difference there. Um, well, I was going to mention one film that I honestly didn't like very much. I think it's the one that has been reclaimed most in recent years and is thought of as kind of the last high point of Argento's career before really the last 35 years have been seen as a major, major decline is a film called Opera. And just to give you a sense, Andrew, I think Opera 1 is one of 
it actually it's probably the most visually stylish and inventive film that he's made like maybe not quite doing as much with lighting and color as Suspiria but certainly in terms of how he's moving the camera some of the set piece shots one of Tarantino's favorites which Tarantino obviously stole from that film which is the the bullet through a, a keyhole in the door is kind of really interestingly captured in that film but the central kind of device with the murderer in this case is uh, the murderer likes to be watched Andrew right so the victim of this film is a victim throughout the film essentially but she is not being killed obviously she is being made to watch so how can you ensure she watches well you get like these spikes and you take them to the lower lid of her eye and if she closes her eye she is going to just like skewer through her eyes and it's just some of the most disturbing unsettling or you're like you've got to be really messed up to come up with that image and even it's on the poster i think it is for anyone who wants to see it the opera poster you'll you'll get a sense of it but just like striking images the same goes for um the the first kill in Suspiria, which to me is just an absolutely unbelievable set piece some of the stuff at the window isn't necessarily quite as great in some ways just because of when it was made and how rudimentary the eyes looking back are um but just the kind of convoluted from you know neck slicing here to like essentially noose dropping here a completely wild wild kind of sequence of events that lead to just some really really startling imagery i think that's that's at the heart of these like not not always scary but disturbing unsettling Dario Argento cannot be accused of not going for it every time like if he's gonna make violent movies he's gonna he's gonna make sure they're violent I think would be one way of putting that uh that's a great idea for a horror movie and I've not seen that one I really wish I had seen that one just the the victim being the one forced to watch that's great it's on, um, it's on movie in the US that one is so you can fire that one up if you're if you're really curious and feeling honestly quite depraved to hear about it and be like yeah let's watch it spoiler alert I have some homework over the next uh, <laughs> one two you might have to days. wait that's true right yeah I got I got to get through some stuff uh, House of the Dragon finale tonight so a lot of stuff going on Adam but uh uh I'm trying to think where where I want to go with this uh. Well, is there is there anything about any of the... I don't know if you want to talk through anything specifically related to the three films. I think you said um, your least favorite of the, the three kind of classics you watched was Inferno, which I think fair enough. I think it's... I At the time I was giving you this list, I had not done all of my viewing in retrospect. Maybe I, I probably should have given you something from um, his Animal Trilogy, which are the first three films he directs, uh, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Cat of Nine Tails, and Four Flies in Grey Velvet. Um, but... I... Go on. These aren't the point of his films, but I think uh, Inferno starts really strong. Like I really like the first half of Inferno yeah. because it just, it does no time. I mean, it explains what's happening, but it just like drops you in like, 
this this woman's trying to figure out this mystery because she checked out a book or she bought a book from this creepy looking guy that looks like a creepy guy that would sell you a book and then all of a sudden you're what like 10 15 minutes in and she's underwater with a corpse trying to retrieve a, a key like it's just we're here and this is underway and then i think every part of the film where we're following the women through and they're trying to uncover mysteries and figure out what's going on we get the transition to the Sarah in Rome who's going to the library and almost gets her face shoved in a boiling cauldron of who knows what and we got the guy with the black gloves like I'm all in on that like that it and once we get once we get to it being Mark's story and he has to pick up the pieces of the the mystery and figure it out f- from there uh, I think it kind of goes off the rails in a way where it felt like a slog for me but I I do like Inferno it's just I think deep red and in particular Suspiria and I think oh I mean it judging a performance uh based and like with the dubbed dialogue being part of it is kind of tough to do but I just found Jessica Harper just incredibly well, she's, watchable she's mostly not dubbed everything okay. around her pretty much dubbed but even when when she's kind of anything that was done post sync with her she would have done her own ADR, uh, but he he did like her recording so much that that's one of the few examples of actual on-location audio being used. And then and I think just everything he does so well and also her just being a compelling protagonist uh, worked for me so much in Suspiria, which is why that made it my, my favorite, I think. And I think it's just from, I mean, from a filmmaking perspective as well all the things you touched about about the things like the red lighting and the in like the dormitory or whatever is all, all works out well and then something about inferno just as we get towards the end and probably a- after i think it peaks with the guillotined <laughs> sequence uh and then after that i just uh once mark gets to new york i was just kind of like all right um it's it's not really working for me as much that's not to say i didn't like it but you know we get to uh the confrontation with Varelli and then uh the death death uh death in person moment as well I think all that's really strong there's just like a middle point there where it loses me for a bit and I think it ultimately lands on its feet it's just I don't think it reaches the high highs of Suspiria uh especially and I think deep red overall it's also a tough comparison because I didn't get to see deep red as it probably should have been seen so who knows uh, how I'd feel from that point. Maybe I'd feel the same way about Deep Red if some of the scenes had been added and maybe I thought uh, those were I don't know. I, from what I read, the longer cut it mostly had more humor and certainly in the version of Deep Red I saw, there were some what felt like out-of-place sequences that were borderline jokey. There, there may have been one or two of those that... Did you get a, an arm wrestle scene? Did you get that in Deep Red? Uh, yes, I did, but like... There was part of me at that one scene where I'm like, did they just fuck and they cut that out of the movie? And I don't think they did, but like it kind of seemed like they might have. Like he's putting his clothes back on. Like what, what was happening there? I don't know. Just I would have liked they to see that. Depending on what characters you're talking about, there is uh, maybe possible. The guy, the, the guy who was like kind of like, don't talk to me about feminism or whatever. David Hemming's character and uh, and Daria Nicolodi. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to rethink on that one. It is possible, though. I don't like one of the reasons for the cuts. It's not just purely oh, let's trim some fat. There was some censoring going on with the cutting. 
Um, like D- Deep Red is undeniably a masterpiece, and I do think that is it, it and Suspiria kind of do stand astride from his filmography and um, are frequently cited as examples of some of the the greatest kind of international horror films ever made, and I think that's fair. Deep Red is certainly baggier, and to me goes further with the weirdness of Jalo movies um, where I, I think Suspiria is something that is much closer to latching on to what I don't know, modern movies that may be interested in some similar ideas may look like. Like, I, I don't think in terms of structure, something like Hereditary is a million miles away from how Suspiria kind of unfolds. What I really like and what is really interesting about Suspiria, so um, Daria Nicolati, who was, uh, I don't believe they're married, but was Argento's partner for a long time, um, co-wrote Suspiria with him. And they, they envisioned the Jessica Harper character, Snow White. And I think the other thing that is really crystal clear and some of my favorite images from the movie um really capture it is Alice in Wonderland. It is very much an Alice in Wonderland. The sequence where she's twisting the orchid around on the wall, there is a shot there where it's zoomed out after that door opens and the pose that Jessica Harper takes up, like her posture in that moment and the framing, it's almost like shot for shot from the animated Alice in Wonderland. Um, and with the colors around it, that's just something that really pops and is a really interesting kind of imagining of that film. It is one that is a little bit more controversial and kind of classifying as yellow. Um, some of the more supernatural elements that Argento clearly, he at least went through a phase of being very interested in, are not the most purest ideas of Jalo. So you could find some people who would debate whether that's exactly what that is, but to me, I think all of the core principles that make up Jal and are found elsewhere in his filmography are also there. So I'd, I'd find a, I don't know, pretty, uh, pretty pedantic to delineate and say that was something entirely different, as opposed to like when, when Phenomena comes along, yeah, Phenomena is different. Like <laughs> Phenomena is not quite Jal. Um, you you said that you were glad that that wasn't one of the ones that you made like a central viewing for me for this is yeah is that why you would say it because yeah I, I, mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's reflective if I want you to have one a sense of Argento two a sense of Jalo that would really I think muddy the waters considerably because you'd be coming off two others that I mean in terms of plot are not necessarily airtight and then if I was to throw something like that that's a complete wild card into the mix yeah you may have been thrown off like something something a film i haven't mentioned at all that i actually really enjoyed it might be my third favorite argento but behind um behind suspiria and deep red is tenebrae which is the film that preceded phenomena i think it came after inferno and was kind of a return to true authentic shallow firm and i do think is one of the more effective um examples of that kind of stripped back in a lot of ways but again a film which it's it very much feels like the kind of the nasty 80s slasher horrors that began to bubble up right around that time and soon after like it's it's putting the groundwork in place for the kind of film that just 
now is completely ubiquitous and central to what people think of when it comes to horror movies. So that's in, in hindsight with me having gone through the, the whole exercise, maybe one of the animal trilogy to give you one of his earlier things, maybe Tenebrae, because that's one that I quite like. Um, but all this is based on time too. I couldn't not have you watch Boat of Suspiria and Deep Red. And also nowhere near as essential within his filmography, but I wanted you to watch Dark Glasses, which is his latest film released a little over a week, two weeks ago on Shudder. Um, premiered back in the spring um, at a couple of film festivals throughout Europe. His first uh, film in 10 years since he made Dracula 3D, which I have not seen, but I remember at the time and I've read of since just some of the nastiest pans. Like it was, it's, it's generally not pretty for uh, a once master filmmaker. If they have their career go on long enough, you can almost always rely on things going so far south that it's kind of, they've gone beyond the point of parody. And maybe in Argento's case, he set up for that more than anyone because of the kind of films he makes, because he's almost always riffing on himself and making a slightly different version of the same film over and over. You run out of space to do anything bold and different. Um, Dark Glasses kind of brings him right back, though. And I had heard mixed reviews of this film from when it, when it premiered. I had heard some people talk about it as a return to form i think i go with that i quite like this i'm not saying that to say this is a good movie i'm saying this in part to say i want more kind of just nasty little movies like this like this to me and i hate to keep doing this but this to me is like god if brian the palmer was still allowed to make movies right now this could easily be something he'd come out with it's like late career the palmer um, which by all accounts is a lot better than what late career Argento had been. Um, but it ha- does have more of the classic Argento style, certainly brings back all of the kind of key traits of Jalo. And I quite enjoyed it. I think for what it is, it's pretty solid. I, I don't think you necessarily had quite as positive reaction. Um, but I don't know, then maybe you didn't have as much context as I had for it either. And, I, that's possibly influencing me or that plays in one way or another. I think like with Inferno, I was really in on this for a lot of the movie. I think it's got a really strong start. I mean, the kind of the symbol, it's heavy handed, but the symbolism and the, with the eclipse and how that all plays out. I really enjoyed that. I enjoy the early parts of the film, uh, before the dark glasses are permanently required. Uh, seeing who our protagonist is this woman an italian prostitute um and then up until i don't know up i i really thought a lot of this the scenes uh with um, i don't know how to pronounce her name agia argento uh yeah. dario's daughter i think the scenes is with her as she's helping this now spoiler alert uh suddenly blind woman uh come to terms recurring, with her situ- recurring uh motif in Argento has done the blind protagonist before continue but the the the, kind of the quiet scenes is is there uh getting together and uh 
teaching her how to live with her condition. I think that there's a lot of niceness in there. My biggest issue with this movie is I think the like the the big bad, the villain, the reasoning. I just think that's stupid beyond the point that I like. It just taints it a little bit to me. It's like, uh, you know, we've got a lot of incel content lately, uh, Adam. And uh, I think uh, that guy definitely meets that criteria. I don't think it's I don't think it's a terrible movie by all and I uh, by any means. And I really enjoyed most of it. There, I just, I mean, what, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna react to it the way I react to it, but I do, I did oh, enjoy it fine. a lot more. I did, I did enjoy it a lot more than I thought I was going to, just based on, like, I knew there was a reason you weren't giving me anything to watch <laughs> in the '90s and the early 2000s, and that's because his, the critical, I guess, uh, consensus on his films and audience consensus as well, I guess, fell off a cliff. Uh, so going into this, I had really low expectations and I really do think there's a lot of good stuff here. And a lot of the weirdness really works for me. It was just like essentially kidnap someone because she feels bad about the situation, uh, that he, he was put in because of this other crazy person. I think there's a lot of good stuff in most of this film. The, the creepiness level, uh, was taken to a very different place than anything I'd been accustomed to with the th- three previous Argento films by the water snakes. I was freaked the fuck out by those. <laughs> the, 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 the white van motif is like kind of classic in a way and uh, could be seen as like, like, what is this? Like, why is he still driving this van around when everyone's looking for a white van? But I actually, while you find could, Particularly, I don't know if you have vans in that way, if just that level of van culture, because in America, like just people have pickups, white oh, no, vans, is there yeah, like, full, like yeah, white yeah. van in Europe is like, you'll see white vans everywhere, like kind of trades people will all have white vans and that will be very much central. So that, that has an idea of, oh, you know, well, yeah, sure. He's driving a white van, but so are yeah, a lot of uh, people. I thought, I thought that worked really well. Um, like this is this is a movie to your point that it's like I like that a movie like this can still exist because well, I mean, it, 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 it barely can. Like it takes it being Dario Argento and it lands on I mean a very strong, a very popular streaming service, but a niche streaming service. It lands on shoulders. Uh, I'm I mean uh you follow more people than me, but my and your review or rating are the only two i see on my letterbox when i go to it so it's like it seems like people just aren't seeing this i it's it's very recently yeah. i do think people will get around to it i do also think a lot of people who aren't like hardcore gento heads probably checked out them like 25 years ago and are done giving them the benefit of the doubt and they're not like oh at 82 he's gonna because this is to my point and it's kind of part of why i thought this was interesting too um, and I, it's something I've talked about with you before because a lot of filmmakers who mean a lot to me are this kind of age now. Um, Paul Schrader is someone we talk about a lot and something that I've often like tried to get across to you because you've come into Schrader at a point where obviously beyond some of his screenplays from the classic movies that you've seen before, your vision of Schrader, for example, is the guy who can make first reform the card counter. And I think it was after the card counter, whether this was on air on a podcast we did around the time or not, I made a point to say to you, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but all 70, 80 year old, like 
very decorated filmmakers with long careers who've done a ton of stuff. This is not what that stage their career looks like. And look, there are countless examples of this. Um, whether people like or dislike Clint Eastwood, I I won't go to where I am on that, but I think he has made some of the biggest steaming piles of shit for like the past 15 years. Like just some of the movies he has made, a couple in particular, some people really like and swear are like late period masterpieces. I'd strongly disagree, but to me are just so devoid of anything that even is the idea of him at his peak in a signature sense. Um, and that is that is kind of the norm to mention the Palma again. Like the Palma can't get people to give him money to make films. The films he was making in what now seems like was kind of it might end up being the end of his career. Um, it's certainly the latter stages. They were distinctly the Palma in the same way that Dark Glasses is very much an Argento film. Were they good? Were they the best version of the Palma? No. And I'm always fascinated in that arc because I think of one, how difficult that must be for people who like make these genre-defining, era-defining films. They're thought of as and celebrated as these master filmmakers, the kind of filmmakers who they're still important voices when they say something. They're still wheeled out at festivals and award ceremonies to give them like lifetime achievement awards. And then, for example, Dark Glasses comes out and most people aren't going to see it with Argento. I do think this is better than that kind of filmmaker at this point in their career's movie tends to be. But that is also very much reflective of it. The one other thing worth mentioning here, uh, Argento did have another movie out this year where he made his acting debut um, at probably 80 years of age when it was filmed, 81 maybe. And that was in Gaspar Noe's Vortex. He is astonishing in that film. Uh, truly kind of heartbreaking and harrowing film for different reasons. Uh, amazingly inventive in a visual sense. It was on my mid-season, mid-year even, mid-season. That's the <laughs> that's the sports, ca- sports podcast where we talking. But it was in my mid-year top 10 that we did of our favorite films of the year so far. Uh, I don't know if it'll be top 10 for me at the end of the year, but it will certainly kind of make my top 20, top 30 when I draw up that list really brilliant film and Argento's performance in it is amazing like I recommend that film very highly anyway but I recommend it even more highly for anyone who's curious about Argento because you've got this guy who has spent his career being a filmmaker and doing this one kind of thing and he's asked to take on a very challenging role I think he gives a great performance so like at this point in his career he's having a very interesting time of it and yet, yes, he made a film and it's from the director's experience and deep red. And I don't know how many people watch it, but when you say it's good that things like that can only get made, I don't know. I don't think they can. If they can, like they're on Shudder and they're Shudder originals and without like, I'm not someone who outside of October devotes all my time to Shudder out of the various streaming services I have. So without kind of enough noise that it gets back to me oh there's this new movie on Shudder that you must go and watch I'm not necessarily going to get to that but the idea of like an indie label that's committed to theatrical releases let alone a studio releasing something quite like that is it's gone they they released the pastiche of it like even if you want to take like X Ty West X, the A24 releaser in the year, which is literally like 
whether you want to call it a tribute to or a prestige of, it's it's going back to the likes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the idea of a lot of 70s into 80s slasher films. But you've got to do it through that like ironic lens. Like Dark Glasses is contemporary set. And that's the part of it that you just really don't see very often. I will say the one thing for me on that movie, I think there's like three brilliant chase sequences. Like, which I very recently just watched um, Halloween Ends, which is kind of interesting full circle, as we said, when the original Halloween and I guess what comes from that and the early films in that series are very much inspired by Argento and maybe just don't exist without Argento's movies. And you watch Halloween Ends and it is it is so bad. It's so lost the focus on why people care about that franchise. But beyond that even, it doesn't have a sense of a set piece anymore, which is a problem I think with the previous Halloween too. It's kind of largely losing a sense of how do we make this a trilling trope? Like if you're making a slasher film, what what works with that? How do you really make that pay off for an audience? Like the tiniest fraction, I couldn't even put a number on it, are going to see Dark Glasses as compared to Halloween Ends. But I think Argento is doing much, much better work in terms of filmmaking, in terms of how do I create a trailer, create suspense with this kind of setup of story than anything we're seeing David Gordon Green do in Halloween Ends. You've just given me an idea for a podcast uh, series or just one episode, Adam, um, at the beginning of this. You know, I think we we look at some filmmakers that have maybe retired or are getting to the end of their career and, you know, check in on some of their late period films and just see, oh, what, see what they are. I think oh, uh, I think that could be one of our great idea. Interesting great e- idea. Episodes you, yet, you'll hate but, it. Uh, <laughs> it's a great idea for for content. Uh, yeah. Will it uh, break anything, the rules we um, generally said of trying to advocate for things? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I will advocate uh, for uh, experiencing things. <laughs> I knew nothing about Dario Argento, and now I've seen four of his movies. I'll probably get around to uh, Phenomena at some point and uh, Tenebre, or however that was pronounced. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think Tenebre and the the animal trilogy his first three films i would absolutely recommend sounds like you're into the premise of opera so maybe you should I'm, check I'm definitely that into the premise <laughs> uh, very very stylish film i i had a very tough time when that film finished because i didn't enjoy it i like i really don't think this is good but my god the stuff it's doing when the camera speaks to me uh like i wish more bad movies were like that um I'd recommend that. Yeah, sure. Phenomena. I mean, even just interesting for like young Jennifer Connelly. And um, also, I mean, continuing the connections of Halloween, Donald Pleasance in a role that isn't entirely dissimilar to Harold Loomis in Halloween. Um, so that's that's our Samuel Loomis, right? Samuel Loomis. I feel like that's right. Let me check. Um, do I need to watch? I've I've just conf- <laughs> I've definitely just confused uh, Samuel Loomis with Harold Ramis, who is the <laughs> the, the screenwriter of Ghostbusters. We're uh, gonna we're gonna do a cat 
we're gonna do a Caddyshack episode next week for everyone. Get ready, Adam watches oh, Caddyshack. God. Um, uh, do I need to watch Phantom of the Paradise like after, really, after really enjoying Suspiria? You need to watch every Brian the Palmer film. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a big Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise is very unwieldy, super weird, um, astonishingly beautiful visually. Um, it's a big, weird rock opera. A lot of crazy stuff going on in it. Uh, yeah, Jessica Harper's it. I mean, that's that is the film that Argento saw Jessica Harper in and cast her for Suspiria. Um, so that is how that came about. So my answer to that is and always will be that yes, you should. Um, you should go and see all Brian the Palm films. I I did read in this that Jessica Harper, um, I don't think she turned down in advance or had she actually accepted and then pulled out of any hall. She was, I don't know what role she yeah. was going to play in any hall, but she, was, she could have been in any hall, but she chose Suspiria instead, which I'm assuming she was not going to get the Diane Keaton role. So that's a good career move there um, to, to get to be the lead in Suspiria because it's something real legacy. I mean, the one other thing I'll say here is, um, and this might be kind of sacrilegious for a lot of Argento fans, like opinion was largely mixed. I quite enjoyed uh, Luca Guadagnino's reimagining of Suspiria. It's not exactly a remake. He does some very different things. Um, but he, I think he does manage to capture some spirit of it. Um, it looks very different. It sounds very different. I love Tom York's score for that film. Um, I think Dakota Johnson is really good. And Tilda Swinton is great. I, If you're curious, now that you've seen... You've seen the original we've seen Argentos I'd recommend that maybe look we could be doing a Guadagnino episode soon even when uh, Bones and All comes out that might be something we decide to do when we get to see that and see how we feel about it um, <laughs> one of them will be a tough rewatch on a film I really liked uh, oh I don't I, it's fine you just it's a character <laughs> it's a character you put that aside um, but yeah I mean, Bones at All might be tougher because of the subject matter of Bones at All, which has been the constant conversation point of the press tour for everyone involved. Of, Hold on a minute. That guy might be a cannibal and you two are making a cannibal movie without him? What's going on here? Um, but look, we can get to that down the line. Luca, pick up the phone. <laughs> Perfect Alleged, casting. Allegedly, allegedly a cannibal. Just to be, just to be yeah, clear yeah. here. We're just, yeah. we're, there are allegations the people at Captain Satellite and Eurostep Podcast Network are not personally alleging that anyone is accountable. Right. We're just talking about film and Dario Argento and just the uh, the visceral nature of his early Giallo films and his uh, return to form. And, you know, what's next for him? Acting debut? Another film after a 10-year break? Are we going to see mid-80s renaissance for Argento? I- there may not be a <laughs> there may not be a massive amount left. I'd love to. I like maybe he's just like acts in Gaspar Noe films now. Maybe that's just his thing. Um, the scope for that is pretty limited for a man in his eighties. There are not too many people in their eighties in Gaspar Noe films. But who knows? We'll see how that one goes. What's what if your... he just made a rom com? I mean, I'd love to see it because what does a Dario Argento rom com look like? He probably feels like he's made some rom-coms already. That's that's probably the way he views it. 
but let's let's hope there's more to come um honestly particularly after dark glasses i'll watch it i'll watch it i seem to have been lucky at the time where i finally decided to check out argento which is in the middle of that long gap he had as opposed to if i was a little bit older and the mid-2000s i was doing that and being like hey what's he up to now and watching a lot of the stuff that its reputation anyway is currently that is very very bad i'm sure at some point i'll check it out for myself and find out but i dark glasses is not terrible which sounds like faint praise is faint praise but it's not nothing for a filmmaker in their 80s it really isn't there there are sometimes i watch a movie and i feel like that was a waste of time. I had by no means felt that way for Dark Glasses. So I, I was less high on it than Adam, but I think it's worth your time. Uh, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. And like you said, there's a, a lot of the like action thriller set pieces are really good. The chases. Uh, honestly, I, I'm pretty sure I dreamed about snakes biting me. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's good. Last night. So like, it clearly left an, a mark on me. Um, just to remember if you're ever inviting people over to your house or you're going to some actually you're going to someone else's house just take a shower that's all that i can suggest just you know yeah you have a long day of work take a shower make sure you're clean deodorant all of that and then you know you know things won't devolve into into really perilous situations what's your takeaway what did you learn from this this exercise um what did i learn i learned that uh, uh, movies have been violent and uh, gory for a long time and Dario Argento was a real trendsetter in uh, horror thrillers and that if he didn't exist and influence people like John Carpenter we wouldn't have uh, some of the iconic movies today that we associate with this time of year I'm a person that really likes Halloween uh, I wish uh, like there were more uh, reasons for me to be in costume so that I don't have to be myself. So I really like this time of year. Uh, and I think it's a time to sit down and educate yourself about the origins of horror films. And then also, you know, dip your toes into the waters from some of the, the modern advancements as well and just have a big uh, soup full of horror films. And just eat it, eat it right up, like uh, like that gif of Ezekiel Elliott eating cereal. I agree with the movie stuff. Uh, don't agree with the costumes. Honestly, I hate Halloween. I'm only coming around on Halloween as I've become someone who is no longer a coward, and I watch a lot of horror movies. So I've watched a lot this month, and I'm I'm glad for that. But um, yeah, I, my takeaway from your takeaway is you said that films have been violent for a very long time. And if we're classing 1970 as a very long time, it means I've still got work to do here. And we're going to have to get you some pre-1970s exercises. And the first one of those starts next week because you're, you're going to look at 1960s uh, horror movies. That's honestly going to make for a pretty interesting mix. You could probably guess some of the films we're going to talk about. Psycho, Night of the Living Dead, Rosemary's Baby. Um, there will be a few more classics, some under kind of appreciated or maybe not quite as well known that we hope will be discoveries for you. You'll you'll get to come along for the journey next week. Check them out. And I hope you'll uh, you'll then watch them yourself and make up your own opinions. We'll have a mix of kind of gothic ghost stories, 
some semblance of, I guess, extensions of Jalo and um, origins of slasher films, some more supernatural, some more stuff that's kind of rooted in psychological horror just as much as it is in physical horror, which I think a lot, a lot of movies today, really all horror movies today, tend to work on those multiple tracks. 60s is when that really kicks into a different gear for me and sets up for, for what falls. But we'll talk about all that next week. We'll have a whole bunch of movies and I'm very excited for the episode. Until then, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find Captured Inside on Make Time for This. That is the pop culture feed, which is primarily shared by myself and Andrew here on the Ursa Podcast Network. We've also had an episode on football for me, soccer for all of you in America recently. Um, we have a couple of shows planned, which I can I can drop details on. They'll be coming soon. I don't know exactly when. We just have to work out our scheduling. Um, we're going to have an episode on the TV show The Bear, which is going to bring in some more of our GSPN colleagues. We're very excited for that. We're going to have an episode on Arctic Monkeys and their new album, The Car, which will have myself and Andrew plus our GSPN colleague, Jordan Tresky. Um, I think we're also going to do an episode of Captured and Celluloid, probably just the tail side of this horror team stuff on uh, Banshees of Sharon, the new Martin McDonough film. Look, that there's... is U.S. release date pending, I've learned. Uh, oh. what, it's showing me, what it's showing me right now in my area is November 4th. What I was anticipating was this Thursday. So TBD on that, but hopefully soon. Okay, well, that, that could work. That could open up our schedule for some of those other things we need to fit in. But that is coming. That is coming soon enough. Um, so yeah, there's there's some other things that you might want to check out. Um, if you haven't, or get ready to think about, ready to hear us talk about all of that is coming on the Make Time for This feed in the future. As always, you should also subscribe to all of the, the various Wisconsin sports podcasts on the Eurostep Podcast Network. The main feed, Eurostep Podcast Network, home to the Eurostep with Ty Windish and Rowan Cotty, and Win in Six with myself and Jordan Tresky talking all things Milwaukee books. The books are off to a 2-0 and start. For some reason now, they've got this weird extended like four-day break. They start their season two days later than some teams, and now they don't play again until Wednesday. That kind of sucks. I don't know what that's about. Um, I need you guys to do a playback again soon. I had a lot of fun in the last one. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we'll work on that. More details to come on that very soon. Uh, we've also got Talk of the Tundra. If you're a Green Bay Packers fan in need of some therapy, Numak has you covered there. Uh, I believe the most recent episode of this post will also have Ty Windish on there. Ron Cotty too, maybe. I don't know if Rowan locked it in, but definitely Numak and Ty are there. And Rohan was uh tweet was tweeting about Darvin Ham, so I don't know. TBD. Uh, okay. Rohan had better things to do. Um do you think he'll get to this part? We'll find out if he listens to our Dario Argento <laughs> pods, I guess. Lastly, by no means least, although kind of least at the moment, Christopher Bruising, the Walkie Brewers podcast hosted by myself and Andrew. We are taking a little bit of a break right now. We'll be back next week or so. We'll we'll start to talk through, do some further reviews of the season, do some look-aheads um, into the off-season for the Brewers. Plenty of good stuff to come there. Um, whether the Brewers actually do good stuff or not, we'll do our best to create some good episodes for you. So that's everything. We're on Twitter. I make time for this. 
I'm LAdamagee11, and you're ZAC Snide. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Giala. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.